Uh, this morning, we're going to continue our series on embracing God's design for marriage, uh, looking at what God has to say about marriage and how to be strengthened by that. And we've talked each week. This is our third week. The last week we'll spend on this topic. We've, had, we've talked each week about the fact that regardless of where you are in your season of life, married, not married, potential of marriage, uh, not planning on getting married, regardless of where you are, this is an important topic because... Uh, we are the church. We are to be connected with one another. We are to serve and love one another. And to understand what God says about such a, a critical institution uh, and such a prevalent institution of the body of Christ really gives us an open door to be able to love and serve one another better. And even some of the principles that we're looking at uh, are applicable beyond marriage. A lot of this is just what God has said, how we are to interact with one another in the body of Christ, and how much more with the one that we are bound to in a one flesh covenant relationship of love and commitment. So as we've been making our way through this, we have outlines of previous weeks, if you'd like to see those or grab those, but I'm just going to do a real brief summary. We're going to make our way through a lot of material and hopefully... We'll see if we have time uh, for some questions at the end. We'll try to open it up. But if you have some along the way, you can feel free to speak up or raise your hand. And, um, and then I'll either call on you or ignore you, depending on what I think and who it is. No, I'm joking. Um, so when we started, we looked at the foundation of marriage. The foundation of marriage. God's created design. Uh, that men and women are spiritually equal before the Lord. And yet God specifically has designed man and woman with different roles. Role differentiation, spiritual equality, it all has to start there. And we also talked about the fact that man and woman are both sinners. We sin. We fall short of God's glory and his standard. And any relationship, whether marriage or not, is going to include individuals that inevitably sin against one another. Not that we would be content with our own sin, but that we would strive to learn how to minimize it, how to repent of it when it happens, how to, how to live together in a way that makes much of Christ. And the expectation of our spouse is not that they would never sin against us, but that we would just be faithful in the midst of whatever circumstance we find ourselves in in our marriage. And then we looked at, as we talked through the, the foundation of marriage, and, and really the key point there is that marriage is ultimately about the glory of God. That should be the aim that we ultimately seek to pursue. And there are a number of other things that uh, are a part of marriage, but the ultimate aim is the glory of God. Then we started talking last week about the fundamentals of biblical marriage, the fundamentals. And one of the primary things that we can do to cultivate a strong marriage, a God-honoring marriage, a, a marriage that brings glory to God, is to focus on communication and how we communicate. We're communicating people. And so many obstacles in marriage come from poor communication. Stuart Scott has that quote. We're created to communicate. We looked at defining communication. It's the accurate exchange of information for the understanding of content. Ultimately, that's what's happening. And then we see God's purpose and design for marriage, that it's not to be unwholesome talk that proceeds from us, that comes out of us, but what is helpful, that God's intention for our communication is that, that, is that which builds up according to the need of the moment for all who are listening. We need to be intentionally mindful about our audiences. 
We talked about all the different ways that we communicate with our, our verbals, our tone of voice, our actual words, our body language, uh, our listening. If we're intent and we're listening, we're understanding versus if we're distant and we're not listening, we're not giving regard. We're thinking more about what we want to say next. We communicate with our actions, how we actually respond. If somebody says, this is really important to me, I would like you to consider this. And then we don't consider it, even if at the moment we're like, oh, I hear you. Yeah, okay, I'll work really hard. In essence, by not considering something we've committed to, we're really communicating something there that though it may be important to them, it wasn't important to us. And then there's inhibitors, things that are obstacles to effective communication. Things like untimely sarcasm, where we're poking or stabbing at the other person to make a point, to manipulate the situation, to get what we want, right? There's a time and a place for sarcasm where it may be appropriate for humor, but we need to give a special, a special consideration to the need of the moment, and is it an edifying statement? And the majority of the time, particularly in regards to marriage relationships and conflict or, or working through issues, we don't use sarcasm out of love unless it's self-love. There's lazy listening. You check out mentally. You don't care what the other person's saying, and they're just talking and talking, and you're just... Ugh. And then there's excessive talk where... You won't stop talking. You want to make your point over and over and over again. You value far more what you have to say in the moment than drawing out the other person and understanding where they're coming from. And it's just a, a world of fun when you've got a, an excessive talker and a lazy listener in the same marriage. Uh, sometimes you might think, well, we, we don't really have conflict because one talks all the time and one never talks and spaces out. But that's not God's design. That's not his intention. There's exaggerations. These are unhelpful. You always do this. or You never empty the dishwasher. You, you make extreme statements that really pin and attack the other person instead of loving the other person. Instead of seeing the circumstance as it is, you, you exaggerate to try to make your own point. Again, to manipulate the outcome and the conversation to what you desire. Or you don't use self-responsible statements. What does that mean? That means you're not taking responsibility for your own actions. You're blaming the other person. I wouldn't be so grumpy if you just helped out around the house a little bit more. Where you're, you're, def you're defending yourself with an attack on the other person's actions. That's not self-responsible. That's not, that's not taking accountability or, or, or taking responsibility for your own actions and actually repenting of your own behavior. Nobody else around you makes you sin. Sin comes from within. And then we talked about some of the impacts of communication, negative effects, ultimately negative effects of poor communication. God won't be honored, and it's not a good testimony for Christ. And there's a number of other things there. Some of the positive effects, God is honored by a good testimony for Christ and another, uh, a number of other responses there. And then we talked about the standard for communication. We're going to move a little bit quickly. You can listen to these. And then we went into addressing sin in the marriage relationship. Reasons to desire that sin be addressed in your mar marriage. Because sin matters to God, it should matter to us. Because God's glory is our ultimate aim. And if we're sinning, we value more that God be glorified and we extinguish sin from our lives, expel sin from our lives, than we value the relief of conflict or confrontation or anything like that. 
We value those things more. We, we address sin because we love each other. We address sin because it's commanded to for believers. And then we talked about how to address sin in the marriage relationship. And I gave you all this ammunition to go and address sin, and then we didn't get to how to receive correction, and that's where we're going to pick up today. But just briefly overviewing how to address sin in your marriage, knowing that the issue is indeed sin. You need to actually make sure that if you're going to bring something to somebody's attention, claiming it to be sin, a violation of God's expectation, you want to make sure that it actually is sin, that this isn't just a preference that you're admonishing somebody to submit to. Right In a marriage relationship, it's to be characterized by self-giving love, dying to yourself for the sake of one another, And if you're coming with an admonishment based off of your own preferences, your admonishment is flawed from the very beginning because it's looking to serve self, not looking to serve your spouse. So there needs to be careful consideration, thoughtful, prayerful consideration that the concern that you have is indeed sin. You need to look to yourself first. You need to understand the forgiveness of Christ. You need to be full of grace. You need to be more concerned for the holiness of your spouse than your own vindication in the issue. This isn't about you getting your way. This isn't about you being right. This isn't about you proving a point. This is about you being the greatest advocate for your spouse's holiness in love and humility and patience and grace and kindness. Also, you should help your spouse identify, identify a path for walking in repentance. You don't just point out sin in your spouse and say, go figure it out. Stop doing this. As the advocate for their holiness, you clear the path. You clear the path for obstacles, stumbling blocks for your spouse. You're patient. Live a life that demonstrates you're for your spouse, right? The only time that you interact with your spouse shouldn't be when you're pointing something out that's wrong for them. In fact, the overwhelming characterization of your relationship should be a self-giving love and sacrifice and care and encouragement and support and affirmation and shepherding and direction to God and his greatness and the ways that you see God working in their life and all of those things, if at all possible, if they're a believer, you should seek to accomplish. If they're not a believer, You should be the chief servant in your home, humbling yourself, joyfully coming alongside, loving your spouse in every way that you can, encourage in every way that you can, affirm in every way that you can, remove any, any obstacle, any doubt that you as your spouse's spouse are anything but for them. Live a life that demonstrates that you love your spouse. Keep it, keep it private. Don't gossip about your spouse. Love them, serve them. And one thing we didn't touch on last week that I think is crucially important is that if there's ever an opportunity to let love cover sins, it's your spouse's sin against you. Okay? If you're, that should be your impulse that you cultivate. If there's ever an opportunity to let love cover sins, it should be your spouse's sin against you. Whenever you can, at any turn, let love cover that. We also need to give consideration to individual moments of weakness that are quickly repented of and moved away from versus habitual areas of sin. 
right? That's just in the body of Christ as well. If we just went around every time we saw or smelled a hint of a sinful action saying, you sinned, you sinned, you sinned, that's not God's intention for his church, right? What we're helping each other with is where there's blind spots, patterns of sin, where we're unrepentant, we're unwilling to yield to the Lord, and we come alongside unrepentant sinners, and we, we care for them and help gently love them and point them to the truth and call them to repentance on a rescue mission. Talk about it. Talk about it. Honey, where do you see the greatest weaknesses in your life, and how can I serve you in those? And work through those types of things together. Now, how to receive correction from your spouse. And this isn't on your notes today. We're we're finishing up last week. So if you want, there's just a few points for this week. If you want that, we have some in the back as we finish up today's um, notes. Otherwise, you can grab it afterwards, and then we'll move into our notes for today. So this is how to receive correction from your spouse And first, just the principle from 1 Corinthians 13, hoping all things, assuming the best in your spouse. And you know what Bobby has last week's? If you need it, you can raise your hand and he'll get it for you. Going over here. Thank you so much. Um, Hope all things. Assume the best in your spouse, particularly in regards to their intentions and their motives. So if your spouse is coming to you with a concern, I'd like to talk to you about, I've got, about something. I have some concerns about some things that I'm seeing in your life. Start off, shepherd your heart, grab your emotions by the reins, and remind yourself, I'm called to love my spouse right now, and I am going to choose to assume that they have pure motives in this. That they are advocating for my holiness. That this is an expression of love. Regardless of how they come. Hope. Hope all things. This person is my spouse. And I'm going to choose to assume the best about them. Be humble. Humble yourself. Don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. Humble yourself before your spouse, before the Lord. Don't be so arrogant to think that there wouldn't be an area in your life where you need to be admonished, right? To think at any one point in time, you've got everything together and I can't believe they'd come to me right now. I'm doing so good. That's just a starting point of arrogance, self-confidence. And we should desire instruction. There's a number of Proverbs that talk about the wisdom behind wanting instruction, right? If our supreme goal is to glorify God, and one of the primary means he glorifies himself and his children is through their personal holiness, wisdom then would dictate that we actually want others to speak into our lives. We want to hear from others because there might be blind spots that we don't see and we want to grow and personal holiness. We need to understand that sin is deceitful. It's easy to get entangled. It's easy to not see what, we're, what we need to see about ourselves and maybe even our own intentions or areas in our life where we've, we've kind of uh, justified them as a way as being rationalized. Well, I do this because of this, so it's okay. Actually, Scripture would say it's not okay. Oh, wow, I was so deceived. I didn't even see that. I was actually disguising sinful, offensive behavior to the Lord and justifying it as righteousness. Oh, thank you. We're all capable of those things. Therefore, being addressed should never be off limits in our hearts or our minds. We need to be self-controlled, tempered, not quick to respond quickly or hastily or gruffly. 
We need to recognize that God works through people. That's his design for the body of Christ. One of the passages we talk about quite a bit in Grace Bible Church and Build and Wellspring and other ministries is Ephesians 4, where we see that God uses the body connected in love to cause the growth of the body. If you just understand up front that one of God's greatest means to bringing about sanctification in your life is other believers— That should create an eagerness to be around other believers and to have other believers speak into your life, knowing this is God's intention. This is how God has said he works in building up and causing the growth of his church. And then Stuart Scott in The Exemplary Husband has a a great quote that's helpful to think about, particularly speaking to husbands, but I think it applies both ways. He says, in our efforts to help our wives, we must be more concerned about our own sin and our motives for helping her than about what our wife does or doesn't do. There's a log in the spec principle coming into play here. In addition, we must be sure that we are in the habit of loving her in other ways. God is also concerned that we respond his way by helping her with true repentance and by truly forgiving her. His point there is that the only way to love your spouse is not by admonishing them in their sin. Make sure that you are loving them in all the ways that God calls you to, which includes admonishment when needed and appropriate. One of the most important things for us to do is practice prayer. We need to utterly depend on God. Husband, be sure that you regularly ask him to help you to love your wife, to be wise, to have courage and faith, to use his word in both of your lives. The most important thing of all is to be an example to your wife in the area of dealing with your own sin. Again, log and spec, right? This example will do more to help her than anything. Hopefully she will see from your life what it means to walk humbly with God and deal quickly with sin. So that wraps up our, our um, talk on addressing sin within the marriage relationship. And there's a number of questions there, discussion questions for you guys to work through to draw one another on out on how that is going. To give personal evaluation, take spiritual inventory of how you're doing in this area. And then we're going to continue in Fundamentals of Biblical Marriage Part 3, which is addressing conflict. So it's one thing to pursue effective communication. It's another thing to address sin and be addressed when there is specific sin. What do you do when you both disagree No one has specifically sinned against one another, right? There's a decision that needs to be made and not a sin that needs to be resolved. But that conflict, that disagreement is starting to escalate. How do you navigate that in a way that is pleasing to the Lord? And again, some quotes from Stuart Scott. He says, it has been said, marriage is made in heaven, but so are thunder and lightning. Many marriages are characterized by conflict. For God's people, this should not be so. Any Christian couple can learn to dwell together in unity. I am not saying that Christian couples will always see everything eye to eye or even never offend one another. What I am saying is that true Christians can learn how to keep from fighting with one another. Even just one partner can keep a conflict from happening. See, the the goal is God's glory. The goal is holiness here. That's the supreme end. More than getting what you want or proving your point or elevating your own preference, it's glorifying God. 
And this goes back to what we talked about the first week, that the institution of marriage is a good one. And what is hard about marriage is not the institution. What was not good when the world was in a sinless state was for man to be alone and he made a helper. God did for man. And the two became one flesh. This was God's intention. What makes marriage difficult is our own sin. Our own sin. That's what needs to be addressed. And so to perpetually go through a life of marriage that goes, well, marriage is just hard, so I don't have to deal with my sin, is not God's desire or intention. You can read the next quote there. When two people have a conflict, they may have a physical fight and or a verbal fight, but both people are involved and against one another. Conflict, then, is when both parties sin against one another and are then in opposition to one another. Have you ever had an instance like that where you're working through an issue, there's a disagreement, and all of a sudden you just feel the situation escalating, and you sat down as a married couple, uh, wonderfully in love, ready to work through this difference of, of opinion or thoughts about something, and all of a sudden it feels like you're on totally different teams wrestling against one another, you know, chafing against one another, butting heads. Heads, you're like, whoa, whoa, how did we get here? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm the only one where that's ever happened. Um, what's been so helpful, uh, by God's grace, Julie and I have been able to notice those moments very quickly when they've happened, and we've, we've been able to just implement the practice that if we ever feel like the conversation is going in a way where we're tugging at each other, we're just going to stop and pray and remind ourselves and seek God's help that what's most important now in this moment, is that we glorify God and love each other, and that he would help us see where we're holding on to things and self and self-love in ways that are sinful, and that we would let go of those things and serve one another. And that's just been uh, just unbelievably helpful for us to shepherd our hearts that way in those moments. So what does God's word say regarding conflict? Go ahead and turn to Ephesians 4. We're going to move fairly quickly through these. We're not going to look at each verse, but I want you to see I want you to see this. Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 3. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's how we're to interact as believers in the body of Christ. How much more in our marriage? Uh, We should seek to live at peace with one another. All the more in our marriage. What are some safeguards against conflict? What are some safeguards? Go to Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17, verse 27. He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Some safeguards, self-control, listen well. Right? James 4, 1. What's the source of quarrels among you? It's you recognizing that if, if a conflict is escalating, 
in that moment, the one whom you should be most concerned about is yourself. Galatians 5, 19 through 21, we see the deeds of the flesh, and that's a sobering reality. Where are those things coming out in the midst of conflict, where you see deeds of the flesh versus what we see following that passage, the fruit of the Spirit? Now, some things that are fleshly lusts, if pursued for self-gratification, I'm sure we could make a huge list here, but things such as riches, intimacy, food, possessions, relaxation, comfort, enjoyable or extreme experiences, recognition, approval, all of these things have the potential to be unchecked sin, fleshly lusts that promote discord in marriages. And then we must understand, if we're, if we're a participant in conflict, you are focused on self, you're not loving your spouse, and you're not glorifying God. Conflict is when two parties are at each other. And each one of us, in our marriages, in our relationships with others, have what we need in Christ, if you're a believer, to be self-controlled to respond in a way that glorifies God, regardless of the other person, and that should be our aim. This goes back to the, the blame-shifting, non-self-responsible non statements, right? Well, we never would have had this issue if she just... No, it wouldn't have got to where it got if you were more self-controlled, if you were more compassionate, if you were more loving, if you yielded your preferences where you could have or should have. What are some sinful ways to avoid conflict? These are maybe some defaults that we, we fall back into at various times, right? We may not be at each other yelling or slamming doors, but we might have things like this. We just keep quiet. Have you ever had that thought in your heart? It's just not worth it. Sinful. Sinful. How about avoiding each other? Maybe you're in the midst and something escalating and you just, you put up the wall, you're quiet, you're pouty, you turn away. It's a sinful way to avoid escalation of conflict and it's self-deceiving to think that you actually are avoiding conflict in that behavior or avoiding each other. We're just going to agree to disagree and we're just, we're just not going to talk about this issue and we're not going to be around each other. We're just going to avoid each other. Changing the subject. Right? There's a place for, I'm really struggling to honor the Lord in this. Can we take some time so that I can try to collect my thoughts, shepherd my heart, come before the Lord in prayer, and then pick this up again? I really want to do this well, and I'm struggling right now. There's a difference in that response, and I just, don't want to, I just can't talk about this. I just can't talk about it. I just can't. That is a selfish, manipulative tactic when we respond that way. You're looking to yourself, I just can't. That minimizes the grace of God. It focuses on self. How about where we hide information, we hide sins or bitterness. We, we give a little bit to try to get what we want in the conversation, but we keep things that we really don't want to disclose to ourselves. We hide information, we hold on to sin, we hold on to bitterness. What are some God-honoring ways to avoid conflict? As we consider putting those things off, how can we seek to honor God in how we avoid conflict? Well, we can seek to know our spouse well, to appreciate him or her and understand his or her perspective. Turn to 1 Peter 3. First Peter 3, 7 
Solomon's instruction for husbands, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers won't be hindered. We need to be understanding. We need to be considered. There it's the instruction for the husbands. The principle of a ongoing consideration and care for your spouse doesn't apply towards a husband only. We're all to consider each other's needs more important than our own, to consider each other more important than ourselves. We should be slow to speak. We should be quick to understand the situation. We should gather plenty of data before speaking. Right, A great way to avoid conflict is making sure we actually have listened well to the other individual. To not answer quickly. That's a folly and a shame for us who respond hastily. But to understand the situation, to work hard, to go through the hard work of, I heard you say this. Do you mean this? No? Okay. Um, Let me try again. I heard you say this. Is this what you were trying to say? No. And as long as you need to, keep working. I'm trying to understand. I want to know where you're coming from. Before you respond to something, make sure you're responding to the right issue. Pray, study, think about the issue before speaking if possible. Listen, if you and your spouse are working through an issue and you have different perspectives, it doesn't need to escalate into an argument or a conflict. Take advantage of the opportunity to sit down with God's word open and prayerfully together work through it. You know, I, I think it's this. That's my, that's my preference. Or maybe that's my conviction. I'm just not there. Okay. Well, let's sit down. Let's, let's, let's prayerfully consider this. Help me understand why do you think this way is better? Can you help me understand what from Scripture is informing that thought? And listen, that question should not be intimidating to us, right? Have you ever felt that way? I don't want to do this. Well, can you help me understand from Scripture why you're thinking that way? I'm just not. Why would you even ask me that? Right? And and all of a sudden, it's like it's off limits to try to work through what Scripture has to say, as if it's a personal attack, if Scripture is to be your guide for how you're thinking. We should love that question. That question is, is bumpers down the bowling rally for us. That helps keep us in the right lane. Right? If we're evaluating what scripture has to say, that's not an attack. That's not an insult. That's not a threat. That is a safeguard for us. God's word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. It it helps show us the direction we are to go. So why would we ever want to shrug that off? Now, how we present that to one another is everything, right? Right? And this is where communication is is important and all the different ways we communicate, right? This response, well, how is God's word helping you come to that conclusion, right? That's not a way to promote peace in in the relationship. That doesn't help your spouse in that moment have a softness and humility under God's word. And that doesn't help stimulate them towards love and good deeds. But a... I'm really struggling to be where you are right now and you're thinking of this. I want to understand. Can, can you help show me what from God's word is bringing you to this line of thinking? Can, we, can you just help me see that? I, I really want to understand where you're coming from. If you've given thought to, have you given thought to that? No, I, I haven't really given thought to, can we give thought together? Let's, let's give thought together to this. 
All of a sudden, the potential conflict in marriage that can be burdensome and laborious and sinful, most importantly, against God, becomes a sweet opportunity to love each other, to serve each other, to bring God's word to bear on your lives together. Demonstrate and communicate your love and care at the time of disagreement, right? Just a a reminder, I know this conversation is hard for you right now. I just want to remind you, I love you. I'm advocating for your good right now. And, and, And I'm so grateful out of all of the women in the world that these hard conversations get to be had with you. Or out of all the men in the world, ladies, this conversation gets to be had with your husband to cultivate that kind of disposition and gratefulness. And then in matters of preference, right? Prefer your spouse. Make that a practice where where it's preference and you can yield your preference. Defer to your spouse. Well, I always defer. Great. Good job. (laughs) That's better than me. I'm working to get there, but I really struggle with that. No, no, you don't understand. She's taking advantage of me. Uh, why don't you go read 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25, and just look at the example of Christ and how he thought about injustice in a situation. He kept entrusting himself to the Lord. Your responsibility is to be obedient to the Lord, to love your spouse well, and then entrust God who judges righteously whatever comes from that. Which leads to the next one. Be more interested in God's glory and the other's good rather than having your own way or being right. Some of us have a tendency where it doesn't matter what the topic is. Listen, we're going to be right. Okay? And we're, we're going to go to town to prove our point. That should, never be, that should never be the disposition within us in our marriage. We should be first and foremost interested in God's glory and the other's good rather than having our own way or being right. All right, before we move into parenting, any questions on that? There's a a list of questions for you to go through together with your spouse to think through. And I would even encourage you, if you're single, go through these in the ways that you can and just contemplate your own propensities within conflict uh, of what you're drawn to and how to think through these things and just normal everyday life in the body of Christ. Dave. Dave. Yeah. I don't know if I'm just uh, taking the application of that verse is for our life in the church, for our body life in the church. Yeah. Yeah, I I think what's the point there is that if this is God's intention among his people, um, how much more should it be the regular practice with the person we're with every day? Um, This should be what we're cultivating, the kind of attitude, the kind of disposition, the kind of pursuit, and especially for two believers in a marriage relationship. And there's other verses that, in as much as it has to do with you, live at peace with all men, right? If you're a, a believer and you're married to an unbeliever, you're not of, off the hook of your responsibility to promote peace 
We're still called to that. But when you see God's intention for the body of Christ, that there would be a a, a unified nature among them, a a one-mindedness, a connectedness, a unity, uh, we we should never be content to be at conflict with others. And all the more in a relationship that is characterized by being of one flesh, that is a one flesh relationship, should we take um, intentional, significant measures to protect the unity that God desires between a husband and wife? So that was my thinking behind that statement. That's a good, good question. Okay. I will maybe have time for questions. We're going to keep going. Parenting is one. Uh, Omri did some uh, equipping hour on parenting that if you haven't listened to, you should go back and listen to. It's incredibly helpful. But I just want to talk about for those who are married and have children, in thinking about a God-honoring marriage, uh, we should think about how we parent and God's intention for us as parents. And the, the, the fact that the obligation to parent a child well in a marriage relationship isn't an obligation for two individuals. Okay? It's two individuals as a married couple are called to embrace God's roles and to implement that in the service and love and care for their children together. There should be unified efforts in our parenting. And in our parenting, we have wonderful opportunities to promote and embrace unity as a married couple and to give glory to God in how we serve each other in our parenting. In fact, in the same way that communication is is vitally important and is a huge obstacle at times to the peace and glory that God desires in marriage relationships, working through and navigating how to parent together can also be a significant source of being able to glorify and honor God or sin and displease him. So we need to parent as one in our marriages. There needs to be intentional pursuit of love for one another in our marriages. I think I mentioned it last week towards the end that the thing that I love most about being a dad, which I absolutely love being a dad, is being a husband to a mom. When we had kids, it swung wide the doors of opportunities to know more about my wife and to love her in ways that we weren't able to express love. You know, you just can't, you just can't love your wife by changing a diaper at 2 a.m. in the morning without kids like you can at 2 a.m. in the morning with kids. And that goes a long way when you're willing to do that. Funny story, when, when we brought Asher home, uh, the first night at home, and I changed every diaper in the hospital, um, was just eager to do that. We got home, and I tell her, uh, listen, if... Asher wakes up. If you need anything at all, don't hesitate to let me know. I'd love to get up and serve you. And and just just any way I can help you, let me know. And the next morning, I woke up, and I think there was maybe two times in the whole night that I got up and helped her. And I went, wow, it's morning already? There was only two times that Asher woke up? That was amazing. And she goes, no, he woke up a lot more than that. Why, did, why didn't you wake me up? Why didn't you ask for help? I tried. <laughs> you said no. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so that night I go, Julie, listen. If you need anything at all tonight, listen, if you need anything, wake me up. 
And there's about a 50% chance that I'll actually wake up and help you. But know that I'm trying. And that, I wasn't very good at that. But I did work really hard in the daytime to help out where I could. But oh, I'm a sound sleeper. Oh, there's other stories too. Julie and I both sleep very soundly. And anyway, if you know Calb Stevenson, ask him about spending the night at our house and um, our implementation of letting them cry it out. <laughs> which unintentionally took place for four hours one night while Julie and I were sleeping through our sick child crying. <laughs> He's like, wow, they are really committed to this crying it out thing. We're like, we just, we were asleep. We didn't wake up. Anyway, all right. Totally off the rails here. Okay, God's purpose for the marriage relationship. In your parenting, in how you think about parenting, bring into it, God's purpose for marriage, that will help you tremendously, right? Everything changes in one regard when you have people brought into the home as your children, and nothing changes in some regards when you bring children into the home, right? Your purpose for marriage, God's intention, companionship, service of one another, characterization of Christ in the church, uh, the intimate union that God desires in the marriage relationship, all of those things are still present when children are brought into it. Children open up the doors for more opportunities to pursue those things. So keep those things in front of you. And when you're trying to decide who's going to change a diaper or empty the diaper genie or uh, fill up the bottle or clean up the toys, right? It's not all of a sudden, well, well, no, it's okay to keep count of who's done what on those things, right? No, you're, you're to selflessly serve. And God just merely opens up a lot more opportunities where you can die to yourself and serve your spouse. And then remember God's call for holiness and love. Apply the same verses and principles of addressing sin in your spouse and resolving conflict in how you care for your spouse and your children. But there's some practical helps here for us also as we seek to parent as one and to glorify God in the relationship. You need to remember your ultimate aim in parenting is the glory of God as well. And you're to do that together as a team. Support one another in your parenting. Don't undermine each other. Right? That's, that's really impo- important. If the kids are hearing one thing from mom all day, and then you come home, dads, and they hear something else, that is unhelpful. And a lot of that takes hard work on the front end to make sure that you understand where each other's at. And, and men, you need to lead in this. You need to set the tone in this. Women, you need to submit and humble yourselves under the man's leadership. And that doesn't mean that men make all the decisions and women just go do it. You work together to come to what God's word actually says and how you want to implement that within your household. But men, you need to drive those conversations. You need to know your wife. You need to draw her out. You need to understand her strengths and understand her weaknesses and anywhere that you can fill in and help and serve and support her her, you need to do that. And listen, one of the greatest ways, greatest ways that you can advocate for your wife's holiness is through sacrificial love and care for her in her parenting. If you know certain circumstances are difficult and there's a propensity for her to be faint-hearted or short-tempered or quick, try to intercede at every opportunity that you can to help her, to support her. Also, just a practical, helpful um, 
practice is don't fight in front of your children. Don't allow conflict in front of your children. Okay? First of all, don't fight. (laughs) That's not how we should handle situations. But all the more, if you need to resolve conflict, if there's differences of opinions or ways that you want to go forward, protect your wife, protect your husband, take them aside and talk about those things. And listen, if, if you sin against your spouse in front of your kids, seek your spouse's forgiveness in front of your kids. Let them see that kind of hum- humility and brokenheartedness. Communicate often with each other about your, your parenting, share your struggles, your joys, your trials, your challenges with each other. These are just practical ways to promote godliness and love in your marriage. Communicate often your thankfulness for each other. And then we won't take the time to go through these this morning, but, but remember your mandates from God in your parenting. You could add to this list, but this is a good starting point. The mandates to train, the mandates to discipline, your obligations of love and care for your children. Work through those together. Take the time. Listen, turn off Netflix and take the time to work through these things, talk through these things, be intentional about these things. This is what it means to shepherd your home. Don't just assume you and your wife are going to respond consistently to various situations. Advocate for holiness in your household by taking the time, doing the hard work to just talk about these things. And listen, these things, if you bring the right heart to them, are not tedious or laborious. What a privilege. What a gift from the Lord that you can can work through with your spouse how to glorify God in your love for your children. What more would you want to give intentional thought and consideration to than that? What, What entertainment would be more satisfying than faithfulness in this? Remember those things. And then there's a number of questions there. That's a, that's a brief overview to parenting. There's so much more that could be said. Like I said uh, before, you should go back and listen to Omri's sessions on, on parenting. It uh, would be really helpful if, if you're in the midst of that. Uh, these, these have been intended to be just some practical, tangible ways to try to strengthen our marriages, to give glory to God, some starting points. There's some questions there. Um, that you can work through as well. I really encourage you to take the time to work through those questions with your spouse. Give them opportunity to speak. Don't trust your own assessment. I'm not going to do these because I think our marriage is pretty good. What would you lose with taking the time to sit down and draw your spouse out on how things are going in very practical ways in your marriage? I encourage you to do that, to work through these. All right, we have just a couple minutes Uh, What questions do you have? Comments, suggestions, critiques? I'm not that clear. (laughs) You're like, there were no donuts and we're starving. (laughs) So, okay. How about I pray? Thank you guys so much for for coming. Those of you that are live streaming, thank you so much for doing that. Let's pray. And uh, we'll dismiss. God, thank you so much for your word. As I mentioned before, it is a a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. Uh, So much good is expressed from you for us through your word. I pray that we would be faithful uh, to humble ourselves under it, to not only be hearers, but doers. I pray that we would 
Lord, walk in accordance uh, to the things that we know to be true, that we would be obedient to your instruction, that we would be humble, that we would be holy, that we would glorify you in, in all ways. Lord, thank you for this time to be together this morning. Thank you for the time to be under your word this morning. I pray that as we step back out into uh, the uncertainty of what this day holds, that our hearts would be fixed on the certainty of what you have accomplished and who you are. And Lord, that we would shine, that we wouldn't grumble or dispute against you or against each other and the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but that we would uh, be joyful, humbling ourselves under you, shining uh, as lights in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.